we are in session number three of our series of studies in the book of Obadiah. And we're looking at the last section this evening from verses 15 to 21. If you notice, the book of Obadiah can be roughly divided into three sections. The first section was 1 through 9, which we did in our first session, which spoke about God's declaration that Edom was going to be punished. The second section, verses 10 to 14, gave us reasons why Edom was going to be punished. And the third section, verses 15 to 21, tells us about the end times, of how this conflict between Esau and Jacob would finally end. And ultimately, we see that in the end, it is God who wins. So let's read these verses together first, verses 15 to 21. For the day of the Lord is near for all nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your deeds will return upon your own head. Just as you drank on my holy hill, so all the nations will drink continually. You will drink and drink and be as if they had never been. But on Mount Zion will be deliverance. It will be holy and Jacob will possess his inheritance. Jacob will be a fire and Joseph a flame. Stubble and they will set him on fire and destroy him. There will be no survivors from Esau. The Lord has spoken. People from the Negev will occupy the mountains of Esau and people from the foothills will occupy the land of the Philistines. They will occupy the fields of Ephraim and Samaria and Benjamin will possess Gilead. The company of Israelite exiles who are in Canaan will possess the land as far as Zarephath. The exiles from Jerusalem who are in Sepharad will possess the towns of the Negev. Deliverers will go up on Mount Zion, on Zion to govern the mountains of Esau and the kingdom will be the Lord's. And the kingdom will be the Lord's. So we notice this little book ends with this statement, the kingdom will be the Lord's. In other words, at the end is the Lord's. You know? The ending is always that God is in control. Now, there may be situations here and that wars, turmoils, everything that is happening around when you think about Esau and Jacob, all that happened. But at the end, victory is the Lord's. At the end, the Lord is crafting history to end according to his purposes. <coughs> so Edom's defeat that is going to happen in the day of the Lord, okay, is uh, a preclude, if you were to say, you know, a prelude, if you were to say, to the judgment that is going to come upon all the nations. So Edom is taken as an example to show, hey, look at what is happening right now is all a part of how it is all going to end, where the final battle will be fought and judgment will be meted out on all the nations who have refused to obey God and all the people who have pride in their hearts and refused to acknowledge the Lord on that final day. If you notice the scriptures ending on that note to say the kingdom will belong to the Lord. So today, as we finish our study on the book of Obadiah, let's briefly review <coughs> what we have learned so far. 
We learned that the book dealt with God's judgment on the nation of Edom for its sin of pride. Edom is the nation that descended from Esau, the brother of Jacob. And the two brothers continue to have animosity toward each other for many, many years. They did not allow Israel to go through their land when they were reaching the promised land. And also later on, you know, they, when the army came to destroy Israel and its people, Edomites stood and watched. And Edomites also participated in a way for their destruction. So in verses 15 to 21, you know, Obadiah gives a final account of God's judgment on Edom and its surrounding nations. But he also speaks about the blessing on Israel. So these are the two sides constantly in scripture. On one side, there's going to be punishment for the wicked. On the other hand, the righteous will be saved. The righteous will be blessed. So verses 15 and 16 <coughs> speaks about God's judgment on Israel's enemies. If you notice, it starts off by saying, for the day of the Lord is near. If you notice, this is a connection between this section and the previous section. What happened in the previous section? Verse 12 says, you Edom should not have done this. Verse 13, you should not have done this. Verse 14, you should not have done this. Now that which you are not supposed to do, you did. You had pride in your hearts. You rebelled against God's people. You had a jealousy for what they were having the blessing. And you went across to the enemy's side and actually participated in the destruction. This is what you did. And as a result, for the day of the Lord is near. So Obadiah tells them very plainly, you should not have acted as you did so violently against your brother Israel. And as a result, this is what is going to happen. Now, does the Lord keep track of our wrongs? Now, oftentimes you will say, God removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. <laughs> yes, for the believer, that's the assurance. For an individual who has not responded, who is continuing to uh, rebel against God, God says, look at this, 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 this is what you have done. As a result, you're going to pay the price. But for the believer, a person who has renounced and lived a life of righteousness, our righteousness comes from God. Now, this also implies you know, that as a believer, if we play around with sin and say God does not keep track, you know, any sin that is unconfessed and is in rebellion against God, thinking God won't do anything about it, God says, no, every sin has to be punished. Ecclesiastes chapter 8 and verse 11 says, because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. There are a lot of people here in this world who have that attitude, isn't it? If there is a God, I curse him, he should strike me down dead. Now, he didn't strike me down dead, so there is no God. So that's their attitude towards God. I can do whatever I want to do. If God is there, he should punish me. He should strike me. You know. But it doesn't happen. So they conclude God is okay. You know, Either he is not there or he is so loving, he has overlooked all sin. No, the scripture does definitely tell us that the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. Why does he not execute judgment right away? Because he is long-suffering, because he gives a long rope for a person to 
respond to him. Now, he could have wiped out Sodom and Gomorrah immediately. No, he gave them space. He could have wiped out you know, uh, the people of Nineveh right away. No, he gave them space to repent. You know. The reason why God delays his judgment is primarily because of his long suffering, his loving kindness. He wants people to respond. But after all that loving kindness and long suffering of a person like Esau, still has pride, still says, I don't care about God, still lives their own life the way, the way they want to, not the way God wants them to, then definitely God says punishment is definitely going to <coughs> come. So this is why Obadiah uses you know, um, Edom as an example to say, hey, look, at this is how these people lived. This is how their attitude was. And God says punishment is going to come upon them. And also on the other nations who have the same attitude. And by you know, linking it further, every individual here on earth, even today, as a person has the same attitude, he or she would also be punished. So this prophecy, as with many other prophecies, has a near fulfillment as well as a far fulfillment, an immediate fulfillment and a partial fulfillment and a later complete fulfillment. It also has a location application, <coughs> in other words, right there for the people of Edom, and also universal application, the principle of this applied for everybody. It has a present fulfillment and also a future fulfillment, and that's what we would learn. So every time God judges a nation, <coughs> it would also be as the day of the Lord is near. Whenever we speak about God's judgment, it's the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord is near at all times. Now, for the people of Israel, it would have been destruction of the city of Jerusalem, 587 BC, or later on, 70 AD, when the city was destroyed. Or when you're thinking about the wars that have taken place, we speak about the judgment of God. And even during the pandemic period, people speak about the judgment of God. So anything that happens, you know, People immediately would correlate it and say, this is the judgment of God. But once that phase is over, they have forgotten about it. <laughs> How often people do that, isn't it? When a calamity comes immediately, they'll say, Lord, we are sorry. And they think that's God's judgment. They don't want to fall under God's judgment. But when the period is over, things are back to normal. They have forgotten God. God says, I'm keeping track. I'm keeping track. <laughs> so the day of the Lord, you know, is a day of judgment. In Zechariah chapter 14, verses 1 to 5, this is what it reads. A day of the Lord is coming when your plunder will be divided among you. I will gather all the nations to Jerusalem to fight against it. The city will be captured, the houses ransacked, the women raped. Half of the city will go into exile, but the rest of the people will not be taken from the city. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. On that day, the, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley, with half of the mountain moving north and half moving south. You will flee by my mountain valley, for it will extend to Ezel. You will flee as you fled from the earthquake in the day of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come, and all the holy ones with him. <laughs> about what is going to happen. 
finally, you know, that final day of the Lord, where the Lord himself will fight against the nations. <coughs> also in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it says, you know, Paul writing says, don't let anyone deceive you in any way for that day, that final day of the Lord, will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed. The man is doomed for destruction. He opposes and exalts himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped and even sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. So, Paul writing is to say, these are all the signs. When the Antichrist establishes himself, that's a sign. Now, that's a sign that the final judgment is definitely coming. Also in 1 Thessalonians 5, you know, verse 1 and 2, Paul writing says, Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. So if a person says, okay, I'm looking for all the signs, okay? The signs of wars, rumors of wars, all these are judgments, you know, earth being shaken, political world, economic world, you know, everything is being shaken. These are the signs, you know, the scripture is saying, okay, you know, if you're looking only for signs, look at the other signs also, when people are saying everything going well, when there's peace, 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 okay. So it is, we cannot just sit down at the signs and think, okay, there's peace, 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 people are talking, so that's going to be the end. Or on the other hand, there's wars, 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 so that's going to happen at the end, you know. But the scripture is saying it'll happen like a thief in the night. It can happen any time, you know. The Lord can start off the whole process as he has already started it off when grace period began. And when he decides, it is going to be that final day of judgment. <coughs> so, the day of the Lord was near, was close to them, okay. And uh, Obadiah uses this and says, yes, look at this is very much present for you guys. But even into the future, this is also going to happen in its final fulfillment. And we are living in those days in which we are looking at the final fulfillment, the final day of the Lord. Secondly, <coughs> the second part of uh, now verse 15 speaks about the justice principle and judgment. As you have done it will be done to you. Your deeds will return upon your own head. In other words, you know, no person can say, Lord, you should not judge me in a, in a, like this. The Lord says, no, as you have done, it will be done to you. The Lord came into this world, paid the penalty for our sins. If a person still repels and says, and at the judgment said, Lord, you should not send me to hell. The Lord will say, as you have done, it will be done to you. Now, if you notice, you know, we speak about the golden rule, do unto others as we would have them do unto you. But we also remember, we need to remember the other side of it as well. Whatever we do to others will be brought back to us. As you sow, it will be reaped. And if you notice, you know, in these verses, you know, clear instructions or clear specifics have been given about how this judgment is going to be in a way equal to the crimes that they have committed. As you have treated others, you will be treated. God's judgment on Edom corresponded to its crimes. Edom looted Jerusalem, so it would be looted by Babylon. Edom killed Judean fugitives, so 
it will be slaughtered. Edom handed over Judean survivors for slavery to the enemy, so Edom's allies deceived them and sold them into slavery. Edom rejoiced over Judah's losses, so it was covered with shame and destroyed. We notice in Galatians 6, <coughs> uh, uh, do not be deceived, God cannot be mocked. Whatever man sows, the same he will reap. If he sows to the flesh, he will reap according to the flesh. But if he sows according to the spirit, he will reap according to the spirit. So this is a principle of judgment. Yes, the day is coming. Now on what basis would we, would we be judged? On what we have done. What have we done? First, response to what God has done for us on the cross. Second, how we are living for him as well. Thirdly, the completeness of judgment. The completeness of judgment. Verse 16 says, Just as you drank on my holy hill, so all nations will drink continually. They will drink and drink and be as if they had never been. When Jerusalem fell, the Edomites entered the city and began to rejoice, plundering the goods. In other words, they went into the city and had a big party. They drank on God's holy mountain. And the Lord says, hey, this is what you did. When Judah was falling into captivity, you rejoiced. You had a great big party. Now that is what is going to happen. Now you and all the nations will also drink. Now, it doesn't mean that they are going to have a party, but this is going to be drinking of the wrath of God. <laughs> if you notice in Jeremiah chapter 25, Jeremiah 25, verse 15 onwards, it says, For thus saith the Lord God of Israel unto me, Take the wine cup of this fury at my hand, and cause all the nations to whom I send thee to drink it. And they shall drink, and be moved, and be mad, because of the sword that I will send among them. Then took I the cup at the Lord's hand, and made all the nations to drink, unto whom the Lord had sent me. Therefore thou shalt say unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Drink ye, and be drunken, and spew, and fall, and rise no more, because of the sword which I will send among you. And it shall be, if they refuse to take the cup at thine hand to drink, then thou shalt say to them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, You shall certainly drink. So Obadiah is speaking with a poetic justice and saying, you and all the other nations, you know, you had a good time and had a party. Now you're going to be forcefully drinking of the wrath of God, the cup of the wrath of God. This is God's punishment that is going to come upon you. <coughs> now, when you're speaking about something that is near, something that is imminent, it is you know, very, very near. People often speak about, you know, you have been saying that Jesus is coming very soon, very soon. The day of the Lord is near. Now, that has been spoken for 2,000 years and people will question and say, hey, is this really going to be near? Are we really living in the very last of the last days? That's a question that people do have. James Mont Montgomery in a voice you know, explains it like this. He says, imagine that a preacher is talking to a large congregation and that as he begins to preach, he places his Bible on the pulpit so that it is hanging out over the edge. This Bible is very precariously balanced. 
Although the preacher is not aware of it himself, the congregation notices what has happened and is anxiously wondering when the Bible will fall. No one knows when it will fall. It might sit there right throughout the sermon. But on the other hand, the preacher might jar the pulpit or even knock the Bible off deliberately. The situation is critical. And when the preacher is speaking quietly and not touching the pulpit, the congregation relaxes somewhat. When he gets louder and begins to thump the pulpit, they become very, very worried. This is the sense in which God's judgment is near, not only to the nations, but to every one of us. There are times when things are quiet and we do not anticipate the judgment so much. At other times, we hear of wars and rumors of wars. The sea of the nations is troubled and we wonder if God's final intervention in history may not be just around the corner. We become anxious. But notice, judgment is no less near in quiet times than in stormy ones. At any moment, God may set the wheels of his final reckoning in order. That is why we must prepare for the day of the Lord and be ready through faith in Jesus. Because Jesus himself said, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. The person is saying, I'm waiting for the signs, then I'll put my house in order. <laughs> you can die at any time and your end will come. So don't look for signs. You know? Yes, it is good to study Bible prophecy. It is good to study end time events. You know? But don't be so caught up with that, that your lifestyle is not what God wants you to live. Because if your lifestyle is not according to God's will, then we will find that the day of the Lord, in terms for you, if you are called home, that will be our final day. And God is not going to ask you questions about end time events. God is going to ask you questions about how did you live the life that you had here on earth. So yes, it is good to understand these biblical prophecies, to know that we are in the end time, to know it's the very end. But we should also remember that our end can happen anytime. So we should be ready at all times, living the life that is pleasing before God. <coughs> okay. And when God's judgment comes here, the scripture is teaching us, it's going to come not only on Edom, but on the other nations as well. Edom's judgment came in stages. It was first conquered by the Babylonians in 582 BC. And from that time, the nation was on the wane. In the 5th century, the nation was captured by the Nebotians from Egypt. Then in 120 BC, Edomites were forced into Judaism by the Maccabees. And in 70 AD, the Edomites linked up with the Jews to fight the Roman armies under General Titus. The Edomites hated the Jews and began to fight them before they together could fight the Romans. Thousands of Jews were killed and they were so weakened militarily that the Romans wiped out the remaining Edomites. And from that time onwards, they ceased to exist as a nation. So judgments happened in different, different sections. And finally, they ceased to exist as a nation. Now, verse 17, a little but, isn't it? <laughs> God's blessings on the people of Israel. When Edom could only look forward to doom <coughs> and destruction, verse 17 speaks about the deliverance <coughs> that is going to come upon the nation of Israel. Verse 17 says, but on Mount Zion will be deliverance. It will be holy and the house of Jacob will possess its inheritance. They will be a delivered people, 
a delivered people. The but, if you were to say, would have been music to the ears of the Israelites, who at that moment were suffering as they saw Nebuchadnezzar's armies on the march and the certain doom of Jerusalem. And this prophecy also gave hope to the Jews who were going to captivity for 70 years to know that God is saying this is not the end. This is not the end. And that's our hope for us today. For a person who does not know the Lord, he's looking at all that's happening in the world and say, say, what hope is there? Where is it all going to end? But, there's a but. This is not the end. You know, there is a deliverance. You know. If the Lord calls us home any time before his coming here on earth, there is a deliverance. We are going to be freed from all that is happening here on earth. We are going to find that deliverance. If you notice, <coughs> the Jews knew exactly their boundaries you know, of the promised land. In Genesis chapter 15, verses 18 to 21, it says, On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said to him, To your descendants I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kezites, Kadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. And this land was to extend to the river of Egypt, to the Euphrates River. Okay. Israel never really fully possessed these lands, even up to this present day. And that's where the war is going on. You know. They said, this is our land according to the land that God has given to us. You know, God promised Abraham, this is your land. This is the territory. Now, if we, they say, how do you know what's your territory? God told Abraham, this is the jurisdiction. All this belongs to us because God gave it to us. Now, that's a Zionistic attitude. You know, they're fighting as a state for their land. But the Lord is saying over here, hey, that is going to happen you know, in the final time. Now, God is not asking Israel to fight for their state. God is saying, you respond to me and accept me and acknowledge me as who I am, the genuine Messiah. Then, on that day of the Lord, all this will definitely come. But unfortunately, the people today do not acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah. They're only looking to establish as a state. And as a result, there is more wars that continue to take place. So for the believer, there is that hope for the deliverance. But this is not the end. Whatever is happening here, this is not the end. The end, the best is yet to come. And the Lord says, I go to prepare a place for you. Hey, that's what he's doing. That's the end. So never give up. Don't get bogged down with all that is happening. And don't worry and think, you know, I do not know how it will all end. You know how it will all end because God is the one who is in charge. Verse 18 speaks about the victorious people. The houses of Jacob will be a fire and the house of Joseph a flame. The house of Esau will be stubble and they will sit, set it on fire and consume it. There will be no survivors from the house of Esau. The Lord has spoken. When it speaks about the house of Jacob and the house of Joseph, it's speaking about the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. They will be united together. And in the united together, they are going to destroy Edom. Now, in a way, it happened when they joined hands. You find in the intertestamental period, there is the, what is called as the Maccabean struggle. And during this time in 120 BC, you know, they joined together and the Edomites. Okay. 
but that is only a partial fulfillment final fulfillment is going to happen much much later so restored israel in the final times just before or in the beginning of the messianic kingdom will defeat its surrounding enemies including edom this is what is going to happen you want to study history what's going to happen hey these are events that the bible speaks about when the day of the lord comes you know before that final judgment when the lord establishes his kingdom here on earth this is what is going to happen <coughs> verses 19 and 20 speaks about not only it will be a victorious and a reign it's going to be a conquering people people of the negev will occupy the mountains of esau people from the foothills will possess the land of the philistines what are all these places that are mentioned for why are these places mentioned primarily they are saying everywhere around negev was far south esau was southeast east philistines were to the west gilead to the east zarephath to the far north you know? so not south east west okay god says all these places will be conquered all these places will be conquered as god has promised as god has promised this is the promise that unfortunately the people of israel today are claiming to say god is going to give this to us but when is he going to give this to us how is he going to give this to us you know it is a principle you find in jeremiah chapter 18 verses 5 to 10 jeremiah 18 verse 5 then the word of the lord came to me o house of israel can i not do with you as this potter does declares the lord like clay in the hand of the potter so are you in my hand o house of israel if at any time i announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted torn down and destroyed and if that nation i want repents of its evil then i will relent and not inflict on it the disaster i had planned and if at another time i announce that a nation or kingdom is to be built up and planted and if it does evil in my sight and does not obey me then i will reconsider the good i had intended to do for it this is my promise for for whom for those who are believing that promised messiah if you are believing in him then the lord says hey this is what the deliverance is going to be this is what the victory is going to be this is what the conquering is going to be but if on the other hand you don't believe it then you are going to be on the other side you are on the enemy side then you will be punished <coughs> Verse 21 speaks about how it will be a ruling people. Deliverers will go up on Mount Zion to govern the mountains of Esau. Deliverers will go up. In the Messianic kingdom, Edom will be governed by rulers in Israel who know and love the Lord Jesus Christ. This could be in the millennial period when the Lord establishes his kingdom. when believers are going to rule the nations the lord says hey this is what is going to happen you know you would be a ruling people and finally verse 21 speaks about you will be a submissive people and the kingdom will be the lord's it's not a question of boasting about is hey this is now my kingdom i am the ruler no no you're submitting yourself to god's authority what god has asked you to be in charge of you are faithful here on earth as the scripture says <coughs> you are in faithful in little so little is given to you faithful in much more cities are given to you in response to your obedience you know in response in response to your submission to god god says i am going to <coughs> reward you 
Now, this <clears throat> should be an encouragement for individuals who go through hardships in the midst of obedience. A person may say, Lord, I obeyed you, but look what has happened to me. Look what is happening to me. No, the Lord says, hey, this is not the end. The end is yet to come. Look forward for that day. And as the people of Israel took this message, you know, the kingdom will be the Lord's, as an encouragement for them when they went into captivity. And like Daniel, for example, he remembered the 70 years prophecy and he calculated, oh, 70 years is now coming to an end. Imagine Daniel knew that prophecy, had studied that prophecy, waited for the 70 years and, uh, and says, Lord, now it is time. Now it is time. And they were delivered right on the dot. And the Lord says, God is in control. The final times are in his control. It's like, you know, when he decides to press the button, you know, it will happen. Now, we don't have to sit and, you know, break our heads over all you know, the other situations. We need to make sure that we are living lives that are pleasing to him each day, knowing that the Lord is in charge. Revelation chapter 11 and verse 15 says, The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. When Christ has finished his earthly messianic reign, the millennial rule, then the kingdom is handed over to God, then you have the new heaven and the new earth. That's the end times. Exciting times, the kingdom belongs to God. This is not the end. The story doesn't end here on earth. So look forward to the ending. The best is yet to come. A couple of lessons to be learned <coughs> from <coughs> this book. Number one, do not live as an enemy of God, but as a friend of God. Enemies are going to be punished. Friends are going to be rewarded. So make sure that you are not like Edom, pride, jealousy, but let's be willing to be submissive to the plan of God. Secondly, walk humbly with God. Walk humbly with God. Do not have any conceit. Do not think you are better than the other person. It is purely by His grace. You know, out of the millions and you know, billions in this world that God should choose you and me. Nothing good in us. You know, so don't be proud about it. You know, be grateful. Be humble before Him. It was Jonathan Edwards who said, the only way is to look at Christ. To look at our humility is to make it vanish. To look at the infinitely lovely God, supremely manifest in Christ, is to bring humility in the back door of the heart. Let's learn to be humble. Let us never think, well, I made a commitment. No, no. God chose us. Why? We do not know. Be grateful. It is His grace and live life that shows our gratefulness. Thirdly, recognize the Lord reigns over all. The sovereignty of God is shown very, very clearly in this little book. God chose Esau. No, God chose Jacob. Why? But if you notice, the scripture also speaks about God gave chance for people to respond and repent. If they didn't, even if it was the children of Israel who said, hey, now we belong to God, we can do whatever we want to. After all, God belongs to us. That was the thought the Israelites had. The nation who has God as their God, Lord will always win the battle. We will never lose the battle because our God is the greatest. We can do whatever we want to. But God says, hey, that's not right. 
And then when they continue to live like that, God says, okay, I'll take you into captivity so that you learn that lesson. Sin, wherever it is, is going to be punished, whether it's in the believer or in the unbeliever. The Lord is the one who is in charge, in control. Number four, remember that the Lord will have the last word on injustice. Word on injustice. Leave the judgment to God. Oftentimes people spend their entire lives here on earth fighting for justice, fighting for justice, thinking that by fighting for justice, they are actually bringing God's kingdom. The Lord says, no, you get into a relationship with me. That is what is important. In the final run, leave the judgment, the vengeance, the justice to God. If you notice, <coughs> this was the attitude of Paul. Paul went through so many struggles, isn't it? People insulted him within the church, outside the church. A lot of things happened. He could have spent his entire life, you know, fighting for justice. But if you notice at the end of his life, in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 14, he writes, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. Yes, he's aware of that. And then he says, the Lord will repay him according to his deeds. The Lord's vengeance is perfect justice. It's perfect justice. While we should do justice reflecting the Lord's character, we do so with hope, knowing that one day there will be no more. Couple of application questions. Number one, what are the statement in verse 15? As you have done, it shall be done to you, and your deeds shall return on your own head. Teach us about the nature of God's justice. Number two, in the final analysis, what does Obadiah teach us about the struggles and conflicts between nations throughout history? Message of Obadiah bring comfort to believers today. Although God's wrath took away their land and independence, this loss gave them the opportunity to follow Jesus during his earthly ministry, leading some to saving faith. How have we experienced God's presence even in experiences of great difficulty? And how can suffering grow our character, compassion, and trust in Jesus? Let's bow our heads in prayer together.